0: First reading is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, and verses 50 to 58. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Amen.
1: Reality, as we know it, hangs by a thread. That's the implication of what Paul says at the end of this chapter on the resurrection of the dead in 1 Corinthians. In an instant, in the blink of an eye, everything we know will change like a flash. In the ancient world, trumpets were used to sound the alarm or to summon an army to instant readiness. Paul says that the trumpet call at the end of history will summon the dead out of their graves and mark the dawn of God's eternal kingdom. And for that to happen, these mortal bodies will need to change because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Those bodies which have died will obviously need to be transformed so as to enter eternal life in all its fullness. God's kingdom is not populated by zombies. But these bodies that we own as ours here and now, these bodies that are the only way of living that we know, these too will be changed. Transformed from bodies subject to decay and death and ageing, into spiritual bodies that are fit for immortality. What is mortal must be clothed with immortality and what is perishable must be clothed with imperishability. And when the mortal is clothed with immortality and the perishable is clothed with imperishability, then will come to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Those aren't easy words to get your lips around, but imperishability, imperishability. Number of times I've said those on cold days at gravesides. But it's true. The Christian hope of life beyond the grave. And not some disembodied, airy, fairy existence. It's not as if our spirit escapes from the encumbrance of the body and soars unimpeded into eternity. The body is not laid aside like a set of clothes you no longer need. No, says Paul, we are further clothed. We will have bodies more real than the ones we know already. Everything we know now is just a rehearsal for the Creator's lavish production of life in all its fullness forever. And these bodies that we inhabit now with all their weaknesses and disadvantages are temporary precisely because God designed them not to live forever. Everything we know about reality we know on the basis of life experienced in this body. And we know that we live in a universe marked by decay and death. But Paul declares that in the purposes of God all that is set to change and we will change with it. The dead will be raised imperishable. Those of us who are still alive when Christ returns will be changed. Death will be transformed into life. Nothing will be the same when that last trumpet sounds. And when might that happen? Nobody knows. There's plenty in the New Testament about being on your guard, about staying ready and alert, because no one knows the timing of the final whistle for this world as we know it. Not even Sir Alex Ferguson will be able to extend it by however many minutes he wants. We are called to be in a state of, of constant readiness and preparedness. But that's not the focus of what Paul says here. He's answering the sceptics who wanted to know how the dead would be raised, and his answer is that it will happen like that. And if we ourselves are not dead and buried already when that moment comes, we will be physically transformed as well, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. They are massive, claims to make. And by their very nature, you can't verify them, because it hasn't happened yet. Everything we know, we know on the basis of reality as we have experienced it and as we can see it looking back over a period of centuries. But Paul maintains that that reality is as fragile as the piece of tissue paper that stands between it and the kingdom of God which could break in at any moment. But how does he know? On what basis can he make such sweeping claims? After all, none of us were there where the world began. No one has witnessed its end either. So how does Paul know? And if I'm honest, the, the basis for his, his sweeping assertions about what is going to happen and how seems disappointingly slight. Behold, I tell you a mystery, he says. We will all be changed. And the nature of mystery is that it can't be explained. You can't scientifically prove it or demonstrate it. It's almost a technical term for a divine revelation, as if a Christian prophet in a meeting stood up and said, God has shown me that this is how it's going to end, and everybody agreed that this is what God had said through him. I mean, Paul must have been pretty confident that this was the case. To include this in his letter to the Corinthians, he says something similar in Thessalonians as well, but in the cold light of day, he really? How can we be sure? But everything he writes in this chapter is written on the basis of the reality of Christ's resurrection from the dead. The in-breaking of God's resurrection power into our present. And Paul, whatever else he was not sure about, was absolutely certain that Christ had risen. One, because this was the earliest version of the gospel proclaimed, Two, because he, Paul, had met the risen Christ himself face to face. And he'd been so overwhelmed by the encounter that he was knocked to the ground and physically blinded. And although he regained his sight, it's possible that he never fully recovered afterwards. In his letter to the Galatians, he talks of how they would have given him their own eyes had they been able to do so. And he points out how big his own writing is at the end of the letter. And people say, well, that's not necessarily a problem with Paul's sight, and it's not necessarily an indication that he had problems with his vision, but at least those things are consistent with that difficulty. And if Paul was left with difficulty seeing as a result of that encounter with Christ, it was a constant reminder to him of just how frail mortal flesh and blood could be in an encounter with the power of resurrection reality and the presence of God. Christ was raised from the dead. And his body, though recognisably his, had been transformed. He was not as he had been before. His perishable had been clothed with the imperishable and his mortal had been clothed with immortality and his resurrection serves as the blueprint and the guarantee of our own. What happened to him will and must happen to us. And that knowledge undergirds Paul's assertions about the future. We live in a universe where we know that everybody dies without exception. We live in a universe marked by death. But when the trumpet sounds and God's kingdom comes, death, the final enemy, will finally be defeated. Paul says that death will be swallowed up. The mouth of the grave which has devoured so many people will itself be swallowed up by eternal life in all its fullness. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory, says Paul. Because Jesus is, of course, the one exception to the universal rule that everybody dies. And though he did die on the cross, he was raised to life again. And his resurrection is like a tear in the spiritual fabric of the universe. You know, sometimes at Christmas time you get a present that hasn't been wrapped up too well, especially if I've wrapped it. And uh, what's underneath is an awkward shape and and the paper's torn and you can see what is underneath. You catch a glimpse of, of what is inside. And the wrapping paper really isn't that important. It just serves its purpose until the time comes for the present to be unwrapped. Well, our present mortal existence is a bit like that wrapping paper. And on the surface, is all that you can see. But the resurrection of Christ has torn the paper a bit. And underneath, we catch a glimpse of the far greater reality of the resurrection life that is God's eternal purpose for every single one of us. <coughs> now, clearly, if you don't believe in God, none of this is going to make any sense at all. All you can go on is what you know for yourself. And what you know for yourself is limited to your bodily knowledge of this life. And Paul says all that is going to be swept away. So yes, with no faith in God, you are going to be extremely sceptical about all of this. But equally, if there's no God, you have to resign yourself to the knowledge that ultimately everything we know has no meaning or purpose. We are here simply because of some cosmic fluke. And we are the most sophisticated outcomes of a strictly random process of evolution there's no reason to face the future with confidence either with respect to the eventual fate of the planet or the human race or what will happen to us after we die. Ultimately without God the final outcome has to be destruction. But if we and the world we live in are the product of a creator then in his purpose the final outcome is life. Because there is a greater purpose behind our existence. God has revealed himself to us in his son Jesus Christ and he's shown his commitment to this world and to the, us as those creatures who bear his image. And in the resurrection of his son from the dead he has shown that his purposes extend beyond the world as we know it. Life beyond death, which is the universal human experience. His knowledge of the ultimate reality is greater than ours. And when we reach the limits of what we know, he invites us to put our trust in him. That can feel like a massive gamble. Particularly if you're the kind of person who likes to be self-reliant. But there you go. The encounter with death is one that none of us can ever win. Left to our own resources, the outcome is inevitable. But what does Paul say? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has defeated death on our behalf. He has gained the victory that is beyond our grasp. And he offers us eternal life as a gift to be received simply on the basis of faith and trust in him. God sent his son to open the door to eternal life for us all to pass through and he's the only one who can get you in. As always, it's a matter of who you know. But if you know Jesus, you get in. The Apostle Paul wrote this stuff to introduce all of us to Jesus, God's son, who died and rose again to bring us safely through death. Through that final change in the world as we know it to God's kingdom and eternal life. He has done all that is necessary for us to get there. Our part is simply to accept that and to trust him to do what we cannot do for ourselves. Bring us through death. Change us from being flesh and blood into bodies equipped to live immortal life, eternity in the presence of God.